Hey lovely people, it's Irina from The Family, where we support entrepreneurs with education tools and access to capital. In our portfolio, we have amazing companies, but unfortunately, not enough female-founded ones. So we've taken it upon ourselves to inspire and enable more women to become entrepreneurs. One way to do so is by showcasing role models that can show us that all is possible. In this podcast, we're featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business leaders that joined us for our sistership events, where we talk about their business and personal lives wrapped up in concepts of feminism. And what we enjoy most of all is to break social stereotypes and see examples that might not be as common. Liz Klinkenbert is exactly that, a fierce and warm-hearted woman that took it upon herself to join environments that were not so female welcoming at first glance. Liz joined GitHub as not only one of the only women there, but she was also the company's first ever PR person. She built out the company's communication team and strategy from scratch and eventually served as VP of communications. Prior to GitHub, Liz spent more than a decade as a PR consultant in the Bay Area, launching dozens of technology companies and helping them shape and tell their stories. After GitHub, she decided to join in the entrepreneurial world and create a modern online language learning school called Chatterbug. One learning that Liz shared with us was to spend time with people that are successful and drive our motivation by taking examples from their achieved dreams. Then we'll all have a bigger chance of realizing ours. So let's spend some time with Liz and learn how to elevate our ambition. So before we uh, dive deep, uh, maybe you could tell us a bit uh, what actually Shutterbug is. Sure. So um, Chatterbug is an online language learning school. So it's a place to learn right now German or Spanish. Um, we'll have English and French very soon, and hopefully we'll expand beyond that. Um, but it combines uh, both self-study, um, stuff that you might be more familiar with from companies like Duolingo or Babbel, um, with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Um, and we set out to build this company because we were like, there's tons of options right now for, for learning language, but they're either um, fun, but you don't really learn how to speak, or really, really difficult to schedule, really expensive, like you want to take a class at, um, at an in-person school somewhere, but it just doesn't fit in your schedule, or you want to meet an online tutor, but you're spending... 75% of your time just going back and forth trying to find a time. Um, so we wanted to take that pain out of it and make a, a, a language learning school where it's really super convenient. Um, whenever you want to take a lesson, you can take a lesson. Whenever you want to study, you can study. And uh, that's Chatterbug. Yeah. <laughs> so if you guys have to need to learn German, that's, that's your place to go. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so long, long time ago, <laughs> you actually started firstly Uh, working in PR, um, but your background isn't in business or communication or marketing at all. You studied <laughs> linguistics, right? That's right. So how did you end up in PR? So, yeah, so I studied uh, linguistics and language acquisition in school um, and was really interested in how children learn to talk, especially bilingual and trilingual kids, um, and also language disorders like uh, aphasia and, and dyslexia. And so I had studied all of that, and uh, at the end of university, I realized I didn't really want to be a speech pathologist or a professor, um, so I had to get a job somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, I wound up getting an internship at a PR firm um, that specialized in uh, 
tech companies and specifically startups uh, and launching launching startups and getting them press. Um, and so I uh, I started there and I realized that I, re I loved it. I loved storytelling. I loved um, taking something that was really complicated and making it really simple and accessible um, and kind of getting that message out there. Um, this was the early 2000s, so uh, the internet, like, Blog, like Twitter didn't exist yet. Blogs were just starting to become a thing. And so um, that was something that I was really excited about, was like, how do we use the internet to get our message out there instead of just relying on um, old school magazines and newspapers, which were still, and press releases. <laughs> which were still the thing. Um, so I worked for several different PR agencies, launched dozens, probably hundreds of, of companies um, from little tiny startups to open source technology projects to big companies like VMware and Yahoo. Um, I spent a lot of time working on projects for them. Um, and I had always been on the agency side, uh, meaning that I always had five or six clients at the same time. I was constantly learning new things. I never thought that I would go in-house, like go work for a, a company. And then I, uh, I met the GitHub, the GitHub guy, as I started to say. Um, I, I met the, the GitHub founders and the people there. And um, that was the first time I'd ever gone in-house to work for a company. Um, and it was a, a really amazing experience. <laughs> But actually, your transition from uh, PR to GitHub was influenced by your previous employer, no? It was, yeah. So um, for the longest, so I worked at three different PR agencies, but I was with one uh, called the Outcast Agency for the longest, for about eight years. Uh, and one of the founders of Outcast is a woman named um, Margit Venmakers. She's amazing. Um, and she had left Outcast to join Andreessen Horowitz, the VC firm. And she was one of the first female, uh, high-profile female VCs. I remember it was really exciting for all of us in PR to see somebody from a PR and communications background go into um, to venture capital. Um, and I had left Outcast uh, to, to do my own thing for a little bit, um, and Margaret uh, approached me and um, to, to let me know that they were uh, investing in this company, GitHub. And she was like, I think you need to meet them. I think you'd really, I think you'd really like it. And I was like, no way. <laughs> no, I don't want to go in-house. I've just, I had just started this new thing. I wanted to give it a year. Um, and uh, and uh, what's interesting, and maybe we can come back to this later, is I wasn't really happy. I had left a job that I loved at Outcast, um, where I was, I loved my team, I loved what I was doing, I was totally secure, but I had been doing it for eight years. I was kind of ready to try something new. I thought I had found this great opportunity. Um, and the person that recruited me there left like two months after I joined and I, uh, I was really, it's funny, I, I had just had this conversation with my partner where I was like, I'm really unhappy. I don't know if this is gonna work out. I don't know if I ever should have left Outcast, but I wanna tough it out. I wanna give it a year and the next day, um, uh, Grace from Andreessen Horowitz, who's a, a, another colleague of Margaret and I, reached out to me and was like, let's have lunch. I, I want to talk to you about something. Um, and it's kind of funny how that works out. <laughs> Just a, few months, a few months later, I was at GitHub. <laughs> Do you think that uh, you sort of, uh, yeah, taking her example and looking at what she is achieving and that she's sort of taking on this position that is usually not really something that women would do. Was that a motivation for you to take in GitHub or? Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if I, um, if I thought about 
thought about it so directly at the time, like, wow, she's a woman and she's doing this thing and I'm a woman and I could do this thing. But certainly um, uh, watching Margaret's career uh, blossom and seeing her like transition from agency work to, uh, to joining a VC and being an investor was so inspirational. Um, and... Uh, and when she told me about this company, um, at the time, GitHub had no PR. Um, they'd never had a PR person. They never had a marketing person. They had a lot of buzz um, uh, just because developers loved the product so much and because it um, was becoming so integral to day-to-day -day work um, uh, for engineers. This was in 2012. Um, so I guess knowing, seeing her and seeing how she had transitioned her career was certainly inspirational and, and motivational. And she's also somebody that... Um, uh, that I can go back to at any time if I'm if I'm stuck or having a problem or <laughs> or I'm, I'm not sure what to do or feeling self-doubt I can reach out to um, to Margaret and my other mentors um, that I've had throughout my career is that also part of your support structure let's say to have women like her that you can uh, call back or fall into absolutely yeah um, I think it's super important for anyone, women, men, anyone, to have a strong support network and to have people that you can turn to, but especially um, if you're part of a, an underrepresented group in your, um, in your chosen career field, like seeing other people that were successful at it or that can help talk you through moments of doubt or talk you through how they approached um, things that were difficult is, is so important. Um, and I've had people that I rely on and I try to be that person for, for other for people that I've managed um, or or uh, people in my network. So hopefully <laughs> we can all support each other. Yeah, that's I guess for everybody. Them when you see people that um, show you an example that it is possible that there are other people that can support you. It does wonders. It does, and I think that's a, that's also why um, it. It can be difficult just to get that started. Um, you know, Elias was mentioning earlier that uh, three three percent of applicants here are women, and so it's so easy to say like, "Oh, create the support network and find examples of people that are successful." But if there are so few to start out, um, it can be really hard to find those examples. So, you know, I'm grateful that there are people that went that I, I do have that type of um, th those type of mentors. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we <laughs> need to do more. How did you, I mean, okay, going forward, you joined GitHub and you were one of the 13 women in a ratio of 100 men. Yeah, I think I was the 12th woman to join. It was like 110 employees and there were 12 women. So how, how did you manage the day-to-day -day, uh, interaction? How did you guys support each other? So my position was interesting because I was coming in as the first and only PR person. I had a lot of autonomy. Um, I was able to build my team the way I wanted to um, and run it the way I, I would like. Um, and also I was the domain expert on PR. So I didn't necessarily get a lot of pushback from people or so, some of the, uh, the things that I've heard other women talk about where they're, um, say, the only female engineer on a team of 10 or 20 guys. Um, and they, they can experience like not feeling like their voice isn't being heard or people are talking over them. And I, I didn't experience that so much uh, at first because 
I was coming, I was the one that was saying like, here's what our PR strategy should be. Mm. Here's what PR even is. <laughs> um, so that was good. I did, I definitely uh, would sometimes experience the thing where uh, somebody that has no, usually a man that has no uh, expertise whatsoever or experience in your field thinks that they can just do it. And they, they think that their idea is, is, you know, they'll be like, we shouldn't do that. We should do this other thing. And it's like, <sighs> I don't know what gave you the confidence to think that um, <laughs> that you you know what you're doing here, um, but as far as the women uh, supporting each other, um, we had uh, lots of uh, we had like our own. I don't think we were using Slack at the time. We had an internally built chat product, but basically our own Slack channel, um, kind of a back channel where we would talk about what's going on. Um, the whisper network was definitely in effect. Like, here's who to, here's who uh, will support you, and here's who you should avoid. That kind of thing. Um, and we did lots of events together. So we'd have like ladies' nights. I, I don't actually, I don't like that term so much. But at the time, it was really, um, it was really fun. Like I, I felt like I knew my female coworkers really well because we'd take, um, we'd take one night a month uh, usually to do something together, um, and then also to propose ways to get more women into the company. I mean, I don't think GitHub ever set out to say our first hundred employees are going to be ninety-five percent male. I think it was more just a matter of um, who they were meeting at open source meetups, who was in their network already, who they were hiring. Um, there wasn't a deliberate strategy to getting um, underrepresented people. So not just women, but um, people of color, people with disabilities. Um, there, there was so few of any of those groups at the company. Um, and it didn't get better until we m talked about it, until we recognized what was happening and came up with deliberate strategies for how we were going to do recruiting, um, how we were going to do interviewing, but also how we were um, to bring it back to PR, how we were pitching and selling and, and talking about our product and making sure that all of our, um, something as simple as like all of our marketing materials and the videos that we were putting out had um, lots of women in them and lots of people of color in them so that we could show like, these are the people using GitHub, these are the people that work for GitHub. Um, so I, you know, I think that um, that is something extremely important. Like it doesn't just happen because you say, or having a, a diverse and inclusive team doesn't just happen because you say we want this. Like you have to be really deliberate about making it happen. Uh, again, like what you and Elise were talking about earlier with uh, setting out to interview only female entrepreneurs. Right. Um, that's that's cool. Did you have any, or did you encounter any obstacles while you were trying to implement things to motivate diversity? Did you encounter any maybe setbacks or um, yeah, team members that didn't quite understand or any kind of barriers? Sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I remember, so I mentioned the, um, the video initiative specifically, um, where we were um, uh, working really hard to make sure that uh, the video materials that we put out about the company, whether it was we had some video ads, we had um, kind of how-to tutorials about the product, making sure that they featured a, di a diverse cast. And I had one, uh, this was when the company was a little bigger, so we had a marketing team, and there was a, a marketing person that was like, 
<laughs> that really didn't understand why we were doing that, um, especially because the demo, you know, he sort of thought, well, most of the people that we're selling to are like guys in, in management or whatever, so why, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to push so hard to have like a diverse cast in our video? And, um, but he was really receptive when we talked about um, why we wanted to do that, why it was so important um, that, that like it's kind of problematic if everyone that we're selling to is, is white dudes, like maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should be selling to other people that would also want to buy our product if they saw people like them using it. Um, and I think that, that uh, most people are, uh, most people that I encountered at GitHub and throughout my career are really, they celebrate diversity and they really understand why it's important. Um, for those that don't, um, if you can't appeal to their um, morality, you can appeal to the bottom line. And I think that having a, having a, a, a product that, that everyone wants to use, that's built for everybody, that's like built to be inclusive, that means that your audience of people that are going to buy it is even bigger. So, so that, that's one way to, <laughs> to get around some of those <laughs> obstacles. Yeah. And so you spend some time there, and then you bonded with three other people, <laughs> And you guys decided to do something on your own. How did that actually, how did that spark come, uh, come to be? Sure. So um, my co-founders at Chatterbug are um, Scott Cohn, Tom Preston Warner, and um, Russell Belfer, who are all from GitHub. Scott and Tom were founders of GitHub, um, and Russell was a director of engineering there. So they're all engineers. Um, and uh, I guess the idea started, um, Scott and I, he's the CEO of Chatterbug, um, and he, like me, had studied cognitive science uh, and sign language. Um, in, I didn't study sign language, but he had studied language-related stuff in school and then had gone on to become an engineer. Uh, and we used to travel together quite a bit for work, um, often to other countries. Uh, we had a big press conference in Japan once, and Scott uh, spent the month leading up to it practicing Japanese and try <laughs> learning a few phrases, learning how to introduce himself and how to uh, describe GitHub in Japanese. And um, I thought that was super cool, uh, especially coming from a linguistics background myself and loving language. Um, and so we'd get into these long conversations about well, how did you do it? And what tools did you use? And what was the hardest part? Um, and at one point, he and his family moved to France, and he spent six months um, preparing for that uh, and trying to learn French. Uh, and, and he tried all every online product and in-person classes. Um, and we had this long discussion about what a pain it was and how hard it was to actually learn to speak French, despite all the resources that are out there. Um, and so I think, you know, so we just had kind of had the side conversation going for years and he left GitHub a little bit before, about six months before I did, um, and just had this like bug in his head, like I'm going to, I'm going to build the language learning school that I would want to go to. And it's going to address all the issues that I have about like how hard it is to get, like, first of all, it's going to have in-person tutors. It's going to take all the pain out of scheduling. It's going to be like on-demand classes. So he, he had this idea. Um, and we would uh, go out for coffee or drinks sometimes and just kind of spitball like ide ideas about, uh, like I'd say, oh, like have you read this paper? Or like here's like a really interesting approach to language learning. Um, and eventually he was just like, do you want to, do you want to <laughs> join me? Do you want to do, do this thing? Um, and that to me, you know, um, 
Delphine was talking about moments of self-discovery uh, was someone's question. And I was thinking, for me, um, with a background in PR uh, and communications, I had never really thought about starting my own company or being an entrepreneur because I thought that if I did, it would have to be a PR agency because that was my expertise and I didn't really want to start a PR agency. Um, and that moment when Scott was like, would you be interested in being a co-founder? I, um, I was this moment where I was like, oh my God, like this is my, my personal passion for language learning, my expertise at launching companies and my, like I have this really strong desire to, to build the type of company that I would want to work for and to apply like all the lessons I learned from GitHub and from the PR agency about management and managing people and like creating this environment. I was like, wow, I could, have this opportunity here to to combine these three things perfectly yeah <laughs> and uh and that was like a a moment where i was like i could be an entrepreneur i could do this <laughs> like it sounds really hard but um but i think this is what i so it was another moment where i left a very uh secure job with a team that i loved at github to kind of start my own company it seemed crazy but um but I'm so glad that I did it. <laughs> but I guess it starts also from what you said. It wasn't that you initially just thought, okay, I'm starting a company, but you saw that it all fits perfectly to you as a person. So it wasn't that difficult of a decision, I suppose? Yeah, in the end, I, it took me like a month, I think, to say yes. <laughs> Scott asked me in, in March. Um, and from the moment, I, I guess, even just uh, him bringing it up, um, I, I knew right away, like, this is what I want to do. But I was too scared to, to leave. and I, I spent that month um, talking to everyone. Like I reached out to um, uh, several of my mentors from from the PR agency. I didn't. I don't think I talked to anyone at GitHub about it because I was leaving that that company. But um, friends, family. Um, I I kind of needed to be. I had a lot of doubt over whether I could be a good entrepreneur. Whether I had like the right. Um, <laughs> whether I was aggressive enough or ambitious enough. Um, and I think that some of that comes from, it's like, it's cultural conditioning. Like I, I thought, I, when I look back on it, I'm, I, I wonder sometimes if a guy in the same position, if someone was like, here's an opportunity to start a company um, doing what your like career expertise is in, but in a field that you're super passionate about and have a ton of ideas around um, with a co-founder that can build the product. Like, of course they'd say yes. <laughs> so what gave you the strength to say yes? What gave you the confidence to say, okay, I'm as ambitious as everybody else? Um, a lot of conversations with, with friends and family about, um, about whether I could do it and what my backup plan would be if it didn't work out. Um, I think that that was the, actually the main thing for me was, was um, having kind of a plan in place for what I would do if it didn't take off, if it didn't work out, and kind of knowing that, um, that I'm still, that I've, I have built this career and I have a ton of experience and a ton of options, and that this is just gonna be one more thing that makes me even more hireable in the future. Like if this startup doesn't work out, at least I can say like I co-founded a company and I did it and I learned so, so much <laughs> from it. Um, so I think that that was really, that was the main thing that was scary for me was, this, was security, was uh, leaving a job that I was fairly secure in to do something that um, was a total wild card. Um, and, and that was advice that I got from um, a mentor of mine that worked at 
at the outcast agency where she, I remember having lunch with her and she was like, no, this is going to look great on your resume no matter what. <laughs> if, it, if it works out, if it doesn't, um, you know, it's going to show that you, you did this. Um, and I think I was also a little worried about stepping away from, uh, so PR, my, my traditional career is a lot about relationship building, especially with reporters um, and I knew that I'd be stepping away from that uh, for to start a company and to be more focused on building a business and building a team um, and kind of team management and company management stuff and I was worried about losing those relationships um, but then I realized that I would actually be spending that time developing other skills that I could bring bring back to uh, whatever I chose to do next so I have actually uh, just one more question, I promise. <laughs> but um, your most of uh, most of your team is located in Berlin, whereas you and your co-founders sit in San Francisco, right. right? How do you, first of all, influence this motivation and make sure that the value that is sort of shared between founders and team is there, and that if if that working remotely is still sort of working out for you guys because it, it can be tough, no? I hope it's working out. I have um, several of my colleagues from the Berlin office are here tonight, so they can maybe tell you. <laughs> But um, yeah, so we started in San Francisco and I, I think we originally intended to build the company in San Francisco um, But the first language that we that we did was German um, because none of the founders spoke it, and we all wanted to <laughs> to test the product ourselves. Um, and we wound up having a ton of customers here in Germany, where there's a lot of expats and foreigners and people that come here for school and for jobs that want to learn German. Um, and so we made our first couple of hires in in Berlin, and then the team just grew from there. Um, and uh, We, so how do the founders influence the company? First of all, we come out here a lot. Um, uh, Scott and I in particular are here probably every other month. Um, and then Tom and Russell a couple times a year as well. Um, we do weekly team uh, video meetings with the whole team. So every, at, le at least once a week, we're all on um, a, a big company meeting together, um, like our all hands. Uh, and then the founders all do one-on-one -on -one check ins with the people that we, that, um, that we manage in Berlin. Um, and then I think it's also about, uh, hiring people that share your values, but complement or even challenge your like work experience. Um, and that, so, so that like we have a really, strong leadership team in Berlin as well. And I think that um, the founders, like we, we trust all of them as, as we would ourselves. So, they're, um, so there's a leadership in Berlin, even though all the founders are in mm -hmm. San Francisco. But, um, you know, I love the city. I keep thinking of that I, I'd like to move here someday, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I, I, my colleagues are probably laughing because I say this every time I come here. Like, <laughs> I'm going to move here in another six months. <laughs> But it's hard having been in a, you know, I have my life established in San Francisco. I've been there for 17 years. So um, the thought of, of leaving that behind is also scary. <laughs> I can't imagine. Although Berlin can be beautiful, not now, but in like a couple of months, give it a chance. Yeah, that's what everyone says. If you're going to move here, move here in like April. So you have all the, the you get attached to it by the time winter exactly. rolls back around. <laughs> um, one last thing. Do you think... Um, You being in a co-founding theme with uh, male co-founders, mm -hmm. um, 
is helpful or do you think you could have also done it if it were just women? Oh, we absolutely could have done it if it were just women. I mean, I think that um, what's been helpful is that my co-founders are uh, engineers and product designers, which I'm not. Um, and so they were able to build a, an amazing product um, and, and like actually build it and code it, um, which is something that I couldn't do. Um, uh, and also we had uh, really strong existing relationships from our previous uh, company. So we'd all worked together um, very closely. We're super familiar with each other's um, working styles. Uh, and I think that those are the things that are most important. So um, could I have found this company with women? Absolutely. If I, <laughs> if I had um, women in my network that were interested in language learning and were engineers and had product design experience, um, yeah. So maybe then that comes, like, why, why weren't those women in my network? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> um, and that's what, you know, I, I, hope, I hope to see more of. Um, but yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hello, uh, my name is Tanya. I'm a product manager. Um, I was wondering, how did you find your mentors? Because you, you were talking a lot about mentors. Thanks. Yeah, so um, mostly my mentors have been uh, people that I've worked with. Um, so at every company, um, and I also had a client, because I was at a PR agency, I had clients that I worked with really closely. So it would be um, people that I admired, people that were doing uh, interesting things, or uh, women, like in the case of Margaret, I look at her and I'm like, wow, she's amazing. I could never do what she, what she does. That's the, my first thought. And then it's like, how could I do what she does? <laughs> um, so just reaching out to people that... Um, that I see what they've accomplished and I, I want to figure out how I could do that too. Hey, uh, my name is Constance and I work in marketing and I was wondering if you ever had this imposter syndrome, uh, especially you know, at GitHub where you're surrounded by engineers and the most valued skill is engineering and you are the only one, not, not only in marketing but in PR, it's like the opposite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have imposter syndrome all the time. I'm, uh, I'm constantly like fighting with myself and, and fighting self-doubt. Um, I think at GitHub, um, yeah, I was really anxious when I joined because I was, uh, not only one of the only women, but one of the only non-engineers at the time. Um, I think there were 12 women and there were maybe five people <laughs> that weren't engineers when I joined, um, the woman that ran the shop, um, the GitHub shop, like the merchandise shop. Um, there was like a facilities person, an event organizer, and me. So um, uh, I would definitely experience imposter syndrome when I um, was talking about how to, um, how to talk about the product and how to talk about GitHub. Um, Uh, but then I realized that, that I, it was actually really valuable that I wasn't an engineer because I could explain why GitHub was important to like a New York Times reporter who had no engineering background, who didn't know what Ruby on Rails was, who didn't understand open source and the importance of, like, how, of collaborating on open source products. Um, and so instead being able to sort of translate that um, into simple analogies, like talking about... Um, Uh, word processing and, and collaborating on a Word document and how uh, collaborating on a software project could be, could be similar. Stuff like that um, 
that the engineers wouldn't necessarily think of themselves because they're thinking of all the um, technical things that GitHub does. Um, so I guess to combat imposter syndrome, um, I would, working in PR, I would remind myself that I was the only PR person there, so I was the expert on it, and that like I, I knew what I was doing, that I had this career of like a decade-long experience, um, and uh, and just kind of faking it. Sometimes when I wasn't sup when I wasn't totally confident, just projecting confidence anyway, and then people would trust you and listen to what you were saying, and it usually worked out. And <laughs> For me, it will be you're just starting right now uh, after all this experience, and you left your, sec your, your um, comfort zone to start something new. So if you had like just one piece of advice to all entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs, that most of us are now in the room, uh, what would it be? What would you say would be like that one thing that's necessary to leave everything and start from scratch? So I know you asked for one piece of advice, but I think I'm going to give two. Um, so <laughs> one is um, have confidence in yourself. Like you are, what, whatever your idea is, like it's, it's, it's a good idea and you can do it. Um, and whatever your background is, like if you're an engineer, that's great. You can build a product, you can build uh, a demo, like build something, do it, uh, uh, you know, like go home and, and tinker with something and like show yourself, you, you can do it. If you're not an engineer, it's okay. Like I'm not an engineer and I think that sort of held me back for a long time. Like in my, maybe this is a San Francisco perspective, but I thought, um, how can I start a company if I don't know how to code, if I can't build, how can I start a tech company if I don't know how to code? And then I realized that um, whatever skill set you have, you can bring that skill set to the company that you're creating. If you're, if you're a PR person then, like me, then you're really great probably at telling stories and at, um, at helping, a helping like build brands and, and, um, and that's something that every startup needs. Um, if you're, you know, so whatever your skill set is, that's an important skill set for a company to have. The other thing that I would say, um, which I didn't uh, get to earlier, but I think this is extremely important. Um, when I joined GitHub, the company was famously, maybe notoriously um, flat in structure. There were no managers, um, which sounds really great. Um, and it, it was really great, I think, for the first few employees because you had total autonomy and you could do whatever you wanted, but it started to fall apart uh, at some point. Um, and I, I realized if I ever started a company, I would want there to be um, management in place from the very beginning. And I don't mean like the bureaucracy side of that. I mean, um, I wanted to make sure that every person at the company had somebody that was looking out for them, that knew what their um, career goals were and whether they were achieving them and would give them regular feedback, positive and constructive, positive and negative, um, and that they knew who to go to if they ever had a problem, um, which might be their manager, hopefully it can be, but sometimes uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's the nature of the problem or the nature of the relationship with the person, uh, maybe you're not comfortable going to your manager. So I, I wanted um, everyone in the company to, to know to know the founders and to feel like they could come to us or, or come to at least one of us with any issue that they were having. And I think that that's really important if you're starting a company is to make sure you have a plan in place um, to make sure your, your if future employees are flourishing. <laughs> so, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Liz. Thank you.